The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. Twenty sixteen. Sounds funny, feels more funny. I said at Sunday school, I was uh, probably fourth grade, Oslo Elementary School, Elkhart, Indiana, Elkhart County. And I remember sitting at my little desk, uh, I think maybe fourth grade, I don't know, somewhere around that area, and I just would I uh, contemplating how many more years of school I had. And I became despondent, deeply despondent at how many years I had ahead of me before I got out of 12th grade. I just couldn't even imagine having to go to school that much more. As you can tell, I really love school. But I just, I would think as I was sitting at the desk not listening to the teacher, that 2000, the year 2000, I'm thinking when I was in that grade, it may have been 19, uh, maybe 1958, 59, something like that. But anyway, uh, I was thinking about the year 2000, and it was just impossible to believe that we were going to live that long, to see the year 2000. And here, we're 16 years by that thing. I remember Y2K. Y2K, amen. A lot of people went out and bought food. I bought toilet paper. <laughs> I had one year's worth of toilet paper at my house. I figure you women would pay me anything if you could have a couple rolls of toilet paper. You give me $5,000, I'll give you a case. But anyway, uh, plus I could use it if it didn't happen. And Y2K never happened. It never happened. And so... Uh, that was good, by the way. I was glad that didn't happen. What a, what a foreboding that thing was. All of our computers would stop. My car runs on a computer. My truck runs on a computer. Um, in fact, my car, I got a recall notice recently that said that somebody can hack into my car and cause the engine to go off, the brakes to go on, and various things can happen. So they gave me a little stick that they sent in the mail to me and says, put this in there and run it for 25 minutes to as a uh, virus protection is what it was. That's Chrysler, by the way, if you want to know that. Uh, that was a Jeep Cherokee and uh, Chrysler, and so they gave me that stick, and I took it in instead of me doing it. I had them do it. But you're, we're, we're vulnerable, and as we, as we get more technological, we're, much, we're vulnerable to all kinds of wild and crazy stuff, are we not? Another year has gone by. 2015 cannot be recalled, cannot be changed. It is forever set in stone. Now, you had, when you faced 215 last year at this time, you had a clean sheet. It was a clean sheet of paper, and you were going to write on that paper every day what was going to go on and what you were going to do and how you were going to act and where you were going to be, what you were going to say. Everything, by the way, in 2015 is recorded down to what you whispered in secret. 
uh, in the closet with nobody else but you. God recorded it. Bible's, Bible makes it very clear that everything we say is recorded. In fact, maybe even the intentions. I know the Bible's can, and God can discern even the intentions of my heart and the thoughts of my mind. Wow. That humbles you, doesn't it? The thoughts and intentions. Now, um, some of you made, made, made uh, you know, you set goals for yourself, and I'm, for goal, I'm a goal-setting type of a person. I believe if you set no goals, you'll reach them. And uh, if you set a goal, you may fall short of it, but at least you got somewhere. You may have got halfway there. You may have got a quarter there, but you may have got, I believe you can go all the way there. One of the big goals this year at Gospel Baptist, and this has been maybe the one of my keystone parts of my ministry is to read through the Bible every year. I may be known as a preacher that wants you to read through the Bible every year more than any other preacher you've ever sat with or under, I hope so. And I want you to read it. I'm all over it. I make it convenient for you. I encourage you. And if you put your name up on the list, and we'll put your name up there on that new board, I, I make a commitment to you that I will pray for you by name every week and ask God to help you to fulfill that commitment to read the Bible. But more than that, that you will meet Jesus along the way as you read the Bible. Because when we read the Bible and we go through it, it washes us and it transforms us by the reading of it and by the contemplating of it, by the meditating of it, it transforms us into his image. And our preaching's good, I'm for it. The Bible says it please God by the foolishness of preaching and save them that believe, I'm for preaching. But this is just a part of the whole. And surely you do not want to miss out on reading God's love letter to you. And we have it. Uh, we are encouraged by having it, and we are grateful to have it. And I show God my gratitude by reading it and putting it in my heart and in my mind. By the grace of God, I hope you do that. But in this whole thing of coming to a new year, I always am contemplative and a little melancholic about last year and what I could have done better or could have done more or maybe changed. Or And 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 uh, then I rejoice in, in what God had has done by committing to him and helping through the Holy Spirit to do it. I read in the Bible that we are given a tremendous opportunity as Christians. And that um, the title of the sermon is, What Have You Done With What God Has Committed to You? I am highly aware that God has committed to me a ministry. Now, not just because I'm a pastor, not because before that, I was still committed a ministry. Every born-again believer... As, that comes to Jesus and realizes that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that realizes there's no way to heaven, there's no way possible to get your sins forgiven except through faith in his shed blood upon Calvary and his resurrection from the dead. God's sealing him from all those false prophets out there that he's the only one that God himself sent, and indeed he is God's son by the resurrection. That's what sealed him from all the rest. And because of that, you believe it. You hear it, you believe it. The Holy Spirit lets you see it. And you say, yes, I believe in Jesus, and I accept him. I receive him, as the Bible says, my personal Savior. And you get saved. Well, that's just the beginning of the, of the life that he has for you, which will last forever. I don't think we're going to quit growing when we go to heaven. Do you think you're going to quit growing when you go to heaven? A lot of times we talk about growing here, but I think you go to heaven, you're going to grow too. I, I think God's constantly moving, and he's a mover and a shaker, and he's a builder, and he's a designer. And everything I look around here, the heavens declare the glory of God, and they're firm and show forth his handwork. I was going down uh, my driveway the other day looking at, God, looking at God's creation and saying, God, you are an architect of architect. You are a designer of designers. It was just me and God. 
I went and looked at those orchids that are hanging under one of my oak trees, and I, I studied the orchids and the, the, the absolute mastery of decoration and mastery of color and, and design. And I, it humbles me because I don't know anything about any of that compared to him. Nothing. Nothing. He is such a great God, wonderful God, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. But this, this God has allowed me to know him. Has, has, it's a two-way responsibility. Now that he's given me this opportunity, now he asks me to be responsible to spread the good news to other people, not just to keep it in, not to be like Scrooge and keep it all in for himself, but to take the goodness that's come to me and show it to other people. Take your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. I'm not going to read the verses before 11 to give you the context of it. You can read it yourself at another time or whatever, but Paul goes through a very specific list of things that God has uh, revealed to him, truths that he has revealed to him. He comes to verse 11. He said, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. It's interesting in the sixth chapter of 1 Timothy, He's, Paul says to Timothy, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Now these verses grab me. There's other verses in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, which uh, Paul says that he had, he had a commit, committed unto God certain things, and he was hoping and, and praying and confident that God was going to keep those things in verse 12. In verse 14 of chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, he says, to Timothy, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in you. So just to make it clear, God has committed to us as born-again believers, and I speak only to born-again believers this morning in this, in this frame. He has given us and committed to us a massively important assignment for 2016. Not only did he allow us to see Jesus dying for us, but now he commissions us because we are the hope of the next generation. We are the hope of the United States of America. We are what is standing between lost folks and the judgment that God has for them in a place called hell made for the devil and his angels originally. A break in the link of this commitment or this commission that God has given us is all it takes for one generation to sink into heathenism. Just one generation away from a Christless, Bibleless dark ages, it has been said. Just one generation. So it's important that when you receive the grace of God and that you've been born from above and the Spirit of God now dwells in you and indeed, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 6, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost in whom God dwelleth. You are the very holy of holies. God Almighty dwells in you and communes with you. What a privilege. What? With privilege comes what? Responsibility, accountability. 
So with this great privilege we have as New Testament believers that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, the hope of glory, we've got a massive responsibility that has been committed to us. Our judgment before Christ will not be about our sin because that was covered in the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, and we accepted that by faith. The Bible says the blood of of, of the blood of the Lord Jesus has washed us. It uses the terms washed us, cleansed us from all sin. The judgment before Jesus for the Christian will be what you and I have done with this commission that has been placed upon us. What have we done with what has been committed unto us is the question I want you to roll around a little bit in your head today. God has entrusted us with the precious gospel, the good news, purchased by his son, and then placed in earthen vessels. It's always been amazing to me that God did not use angels to preach about his son, that he had died and he was buried and rose again the third day and had died for us so you could be saved. I, I was amazed that he did not use angels. To me, angels are bigger, stronger, smarter, innocent, and they can communicate and fly around. I have a little more trouble with that. I'm still earthen. And in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, but we have this treasure. What is that? The treasure of the gospel in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. When God uses us, earthen vessels, corrupt in a lot of directions, weak in a lot of directions, inefficient in a lot of directions, immature in a lot of directions, and I could go on and on and on. But when he chooses to use us to spread the the news that Jesus died and was buried and rose again the third day so people could be saved and have their sins forgiven, the glory, when it happens, doesn't go to us. It goes to him. The fact that he could use people like us. Do you believe this morning that God can actually use you? I am convinced that some of the reason people don't share the gospel is they don't feel like they're adequate. And you know what? God says you're not. So amen. If you feel inadequate in sharing the gospel, you meet the qualifications to do it. Being inadequate is the first step in success because then you give glory to the correct person, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, who can make us adequate, who can make us successful vessels for the gospel. Spreading the gospel is not about my abilities, my qualifications. Or it is about him. It's about my willingness to be used. It's about my accepting this commission and then allowing him to work through it simply by repeating the gospel. I've heard people stutter the gospel and people got saved. I've heard people lisp the gospel and folks got saved. 
one of the one of the most successful preachers I had heard as far as souls being saved was a guy that had had a stroke, and and he had to relearn to talk. Man, the first time was tough enough. I don't want to do it again. Amen. But he had to start brand new again and learn to talk. And people got saved. He went all over the country. He was a little tough to listen to. But when you heard the story, you were like, what? He, and his, his pronunciation of words was completely different than normal because he had to relearn how to do it after the stroke. And that was the beauty of it is that he spoke in such a way that people actually listened. And if you listen by the grace of God, you may get saved. I ask people on a regular basis, have you ever allowed anybody to share the gospel with you? You can't believe how many people tell me no. No. When they, hear Billy, when they heard Billy Graham, they turned it off. When they heard a preacher, they turned him off. When a, when, a, when a person at work tried to tell them, they turned him off. They never in one time sat down and said, okay, tell me the gospel. And sat there with an open mind, listened to it. And I'll get to guarantee you, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you will simply take your pride and notch it down a little bit and allow the gospel to be heard by you, you may find that your spirit and your soul will say, yes, this is the truth. Then you receive Christ as your Savior. Have God dwell in you like the other born-again Christians. Wow, God chose the Jews early on to take the, the news of the freedom, the coming Messiah, and spread it all over the world. Uh, among the Jews, it was called the oracles of God. It wasn't called the gospel. It was called the oracles of God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 2, it says, they received the very oracles of God were committed unto them. Well, how did they do? The Jews did terrible. They were picked by God to go to the world and preach that God is and that there was a coming Messiah, and using the law's assistance to prepare them for this Messiah to come. And they, you, you know the story. You know that they fumbled the ball. You know they lost the game. You know they shamed God's name. They did not receive the commitment, that sacred commitment which was given unto them. They did not receive it. And just because you're born again today does not mean you will automatically receive the commitment that Paul says that he had received and that Timothy had received, it does not automatically say that you're going to succeed in the commitment. But I'm going to tell you one thing. Whether you succeed or don't succeed in that commitment, if you're a born-again Christian here this morning, God has placed upon you the responsibility of having the gospel and of knowing the gospel and of spreading the gospel. And someday... You're going to have to give an account of that. And before the beam of seed of Christ, you're going to, before all of the angels and the myriads of folks there, you're going to give an accountability on how would you do with this commitment. You say, well, Brother Bill, I don't speak well. I don't talk well. I just told you this gospel has been placed in earthen vessels. And the, the qualification for you to meet that commission is inadequacy. How many here qualify? Everybody. Everybody. I've met some people that had natural abilities and natural talents to publicly speak and watch them fail miserably. But then I've watched people who had no talent and had very little ability go before God in a humble way and say, God, I don't know, I don't know how to do it, but I'm willing to do it. 
and God come. There are four questions I want to ask you as recipients. You born-again believers here. I want to ask you four questions as recipients of this great commission that we have received. You say, I am received. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. Whether you know it or not, you've got it. But here's the question. Number one, is this commission still pure? It's been placed in your hands as a sacred trust. Have you kept it pure and have you kept yourself pure? 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 says, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. That hope is to the coming of Jesus Christ. And we are to... We are indeed responsible to keep ourselves pure. First Peter chapter 2, verse 20 says it this way, For if after they have, they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness then after they had known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. I can only say this to you from what I've read in the scriptures, that if you take this commission that you've been given lightly and you ignore it or put it to the side and, and, and mix in with the world and go live as they live, there's going to be a day of reckoning it's going to knock your socks off. Wow. When the Bible says it had been better never to have heard it than to have heard it and gone back into the world, is this commission, is this commitment that you've been given still pure? We, I was given a pure gospel, and I was given a, a Bible, and by the grace of God, from the, from the years that I've been saved, I got saved at 5 years old, recommitted at 12 years old, and finally committed again at 18 years old, and from 18 years old to today... I have tried to stay true to this word. I've tried to stay true to the gospel and pass it on to you in the purity it came to me. Give you the same kind of opportunity that I've had. Is it still pure? It's our responsibility not to change the gospel. It's in it while it's in our possession. It's our responsibility not to compromise the gospel while it's in our possession. It's our responsibility not to add to the gospel or take away from the gospel while it's in our possession. God forbid that we would ever mix the gospel with the world while it's in our possession. Has this gospel remained pure while you've had possession of it? The second question I ask is, is it still potent? Is it still potent? I think... Romans chapter 1, verse 16, which we have, by the way, on the top of the gymnasium, if you look above the cross there, in small print. Somebody the other day said, why didn't you make that bigger? I said, I made it small so that it would create a curiosity item and that you would read it. Now, that didn't go over very well. You understand sometimes when you make something small, you make something hard to read, people will actually read it. And, and this person just fulfilled that. They came to me and said, well, I said, well, what's it say? Well, I, I, I you know, Romans 1.16 up there. And I said, well, what's Romans 1.16? Did you look it up? 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to all them that believe to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power. Is it still pure in your possession? Is it still potent in your possession? The word power there is the word, we get our word dynamite from it. It means miraculous power. I can wield the sword of the gospel with an understanding that it still has the same power that when Peter grabbed it. It has the same power that when Paul the apostle grabbed it. The gospel today, if if given, has the same ability to save and the same power to save as this ever had. People say, well, people may not be getting saved like they did for a period of time. That make that may be true. People don't respond, people respond kind of in a secular manner. In varying degrees through the centuries. They do. We have times of in gathering, times of sowing. Farmers know all about that. You don't always you don't you don't always reap. You gotta sow. And the church has times where we sow, sow, sow. We don't reap much. And all of a sudden, there'll be a Holy Spirit boom. And you knew that. You saw that preacher in the 70s. Man, there was revival. Started up in Canada in 1971. Worked its way down through the United States. I saw more people saved in, in the 10 years of, of, of 1970, almost the rest of my life. I mean, people were getting saved left and right. They wanted to hear the gospel. There was a reaping time. The power's in the gospel. We are inadequate. The power's in the gospel. Keep the gospel pure in your possession. Allow the gospel to be potent in your possession. What's that mean? If you believe the Bible, you believe it, what it says. And if you believe what it says, and you believe the, the gospel is potent, and if you believe the gospel is potent, that means you won't be hesitant to give it out because it's the gospel that's going to convict, not you, because you're inadequate. Did you follow that? And so you just keep giving the gospel. We give it out through gospel tracts. Last year, 192,000 uh, gospel tracts with enough gospel out to save the whole world if they believe. We gave out 192,000. They're in, I don't doubt that they're in pairs of shorts, pairs of pants, Budweiser, six packs. They are they're spread out in dishwashers. They are spread out at Lowe's and Home Depot and, and Hallmark cards and everywhere else. We, our people have gone and spread them out everywhere. We've gotten all kinds of complaints. But you know, this is a war for souls. I'd rather get accused of passing too much gospel out than too little. You were too zealous, preacher. Okay, I'll go with it. The power of God's still dynamite, still dynamite. Or have you, in the process, lost confidence in this gospel? Have you stopped believing it? How do I know you stopped believing it? You stopped giving it. You still believe the gospel will save an old trunk. You still believe the gospel will save an addict? Where's Doc at? Uh, he's probably preaching junior church, isn't he? Uh, you still believe that the, the gospel will, will, will clean up a foul mouth? You still believe that it will overcome the demon of sensuality? Do you still believe that it will conquer immorality? Do you still believe the gospel has the power to unchain the chains of sin, to cut the bands of sin in your life, it still does. 
just have enough belief in it as a grain of a little mustard seed, as, as about the size of salt. Have that much faith. The Bible, Jesus said, you'll move mountains with that much faith. Just wield it. Give it out. The third question I ask those folks who've been given this great commission, which every born-again believer in here has, is this commission to you still passionate? Are you excited as you once were? Remember when you first got saved? Well, you went around to all your friends and said, man, something happened to me the other day, da-da-da-da-da. And you, something happened to me. I remember when I first got right with God at 18 years old, all my, all my buddies and stuff came up to me and said, what happened? What happened? And I gave them the gospel. Three out of about five or six men that I, or young men that I ran around with got born again, got saved. Still saved, by the way, today. We talk about it. They're getting old, though. Is it, are you so excited about a soul being saved? We had door-to-door recently, and a soul got saved, and a man came to me and says, the greatest excitement, the greatest thrill of my life is to see somebody saved. I like that. I like that. That's me too. You, I've caught lobsters. Let me tell you, I've been lobstering in the Keys where I've gone down and seen 500 lobster in one spot and caught them all. I've seen 30, 40, 50. I shot biggest black grouper I've ever shot, 58-pound black grouper. I've seen 125-pound blacks. I've killed, and, and, and you that don't like killing, I'm sorry about that, but if you ate anything that wasn't just a plant, it had to be killed. Man, I've had some, some excitement in my life. It's unbelievable. Jacques Cousteau probably would have been jealous. But that is nothing compared to watching a human being hear the gospel and say, I need to be saved. Woo! Name written down the Lamb's book of life. The angels of God start out in some sort of chorus and rejoice. The Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repenteth. And you know what? There ought to be rejoicing in our presence. When one sinner repents and said, I'm a sinner and need to be saved. Have you ever fasted for the lost? Have you ever fasted for God's power and done without food? I tell people why we, we sometimes will go seven days on water and they look at me and say, is it possible? <laughs> I know by looking at us, it doesn't look like we fast a lot. But I mean, if you fast, you realize pretty soon that you can go, not only you go seven days without food, but you can go 30 days without food. And I know that some people go on 40 days without food. I don't recommend it unless God tells you to do it. But I can tell you, you get before God. He said, this kind cometh not out, but by prayer and fasting. Jesus fasted. The disciples fasted. People all back from them fasted. I think probably fasting should be some part of our life. Is it still pure? Is it still potent? Is it? Is it still passionate? And lastly, I ask the fourth question. Is it still propagated? Are you giving the gospel out? You know, you can't spell gospel without the word go. You can't spell good without the word go. No, that's right. You can't spell God without the word go. 
People sometimes want to get really holy and super sanctimonious. And they want to say, well, if a person's meant to be saved, they will be. All I can tell you, that's not the Bible. That's not the Bible. Jesus didn't waste these words when he said, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He, he wasn't saying that just, just because he wanted to hear himself talk. He didn't say go and teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Teach them whatsoever things I have commanded to you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Just because he wanted to talk. He told you that because you needed to go and they needed to hear. And he chose you as a, as, and commissioned you. I like what Paul said in Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.11, that, that I have been committed, the gospel has been committed to my trust. And it has yours. What do you think? What do you think? Have you propagated the gospel in 2015? You say, Brother Bill, I haven't propagated it like I wanted to. Well, why don't you do it in 2016 by the grace of God? You know what? If God be for you, who can be against you? He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us. For us all. How, shall, how shall not he with them also Give us a provider, give us all things. God wants, he's going to help you do it. He is so for you giving the gospel. He is so for you passing tracts out. He is so for you writing your loved ones and, and explaining how you got saved and asking them to consider salvation. He is so for you sending uh, anything you can to try to get your neighbors to come to a service. He is so for you talking to your co-workers and saying, how about coming to a preaching service or how about coming to these revival meetings with Hal Hightower coming up in January? He is so for you. All you got to do is join with him and say, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to keep the gospel propagated. Something massively important has been committed to you and committed to me. And I believe there are people out there that can only be reached by you. How do I know that? Because you're unique. There's no two Marty Moons. There's no two Tom Gillespie's. And everybody said, I had to do that. There's no two Bill Lytell's OC what now? OCD? Yeah, OC. They call me OCD. I don't know. If, I don't know what that means, but I hope it's good. I like all these abbreviations, don't you? My kids got ADD, STP. You know, but there's no two of you. I know. I don't. I mean, there's no two Ludwigs. There's no two of any of you here. Would you admit you're unique? The fact that you're unique means that you have a niche. You have a niche. You have a personality. You have a way of saying something. And God will, the master of the creator of all that is who helped you be who you are has made you to fit just right with somebody else, just right with them when you ask them if they'd come to church or just right when you give them a gospel tract, or just right when you explain the gospel to them that how Jesus saved you in your inadequacy and in your tears and maybe shaking and with the, with the old cold sweats, it don't make any difference how much you had to suffer. Do it by the grace of God. We go door to door. 
nursing homes, prison ministry, everywhere, every how we can. Why? Because we've been given a sacred commission here at the gospel. The name of our church, Gospel Baptist Church. We've been given a sacred commission to take this beautiful thing called the gospel that we've received and we've received the benefits from and to simply pass it on and keep it going. What have you done with what has been committed to you? Father, help us that we would understand how sacred this is, how serious it is. And Father, forgive us for our excuse-making. Forgive us for trying to say, well, that's, that's good for Brother Moon, that's good for Brother Lytell, that's good for, that's good for Brother Not, but that's no good for me. That's, not, that's just not me. All I can say is someday there'll be no excuse-making before Jesus who died for you and shed his blood and went through Gethsemane and was, was beaten and beard plucked on his face and spit upon and, and, and drug up, as it were, almost to Golgotha and nailed on an old rugged cross and hung there to, for all six hours as he, as he bore the sin of the world upon himself. He'll not be light on you for simply not being willing to share what you've received. Oh, dear one, as you contemplate this, I often think of the scientist, if he was given a cure, a real cure for cancer, how horrible it would be if he never passed it on. If he just used it to cure his own child or his wife or his relatives, but he never passed it on past that, how... What kind of a beast would that person be considered when finally found out? What kind of a beast would you consider him? All these people dying of cancer. And him having the ability to give them something to cure them with and not passing it on, we've got that. We have the cure for sin. We've got the cure for condemnation in the gospel. Let's just pass it on. Father, help us to be encouraged in the faith once delivered to the saints. May our generation not be the generation who fumbles the ball. May our generation not be the group of people who pollutes it, who forgets that it's potent, who, who loses their passion for it, and who quits propagating. But Father, may we go forth in faith believing that you can still save as you always have. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's